Welcome to episode 97 of Love That Album podcast. Two thousand and sixteen has been a bumpy ride for a multitude of reasons. We here at LTA headquarters, however, are taking time to focus on the year's positive musical experiences, and there have been many. Morris is joined by LTA regular Eric Reanimator and his partner in crime at See Here Podcast, Bernie Stickwell, to compare notes on their favourite albums they heard this year for the first time, released this year or earlier. They come armed with many recommendations for your oral pleasure. Also, Morris is overjoyed to read out some emails sent in with listener recommendations of great albums. It takes so little to make him happy. Frank Zappa and several others have been credited as the source of the saying that talking about music is like dancing about architecture. So, before we kick 2016's ass out the door, get on your dancing shoes, find your favourite building and listen to Bernie, Eric and Morris put some music discussion in your ear holes. Ninety-seven, I say. That's three short of some other number. Love that album's the name of the program. Morris is my name, and I welcome you to end of 2016. To many people, they'd like to say 2016, good riddance to bad rubbish. But we're here to show you that, in fact, there was a lot of wonderful stuff that we discovered in 2016. The purpose of this program is to talk about our favourite first-time listens for the year, be they albums from 2016 or albums that we might have just heard this year for the first time. So we're going to be very positive and upbeat in this program, of course, unless we discuss about an artist who we discovered who died this year, but we're not going to go there. Anyway, did I say we? Yes, I did, because I am joined by two wonderful, wonderful people. So on the left of my Skype screen is my See Here compadre, from Bath in England, Mr. Bernard Stickwell. Hello, and uh, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm honoured to be asked to uh, be part of this year, this year. so uh, thank you very much. So, yeah, I hope I live up to the uh, expectations. Yeah, well, my <laughs> expectations are pretty high for you, Senior Stickwell, so you better... Well, you know, I know. I set, we set a high bar on C here, Morris, so... Oh, um, indeed we do. I'm going to try do. and push up and over for you. <laughs> over the top, over the top. And on the right of my Skype screen is really the, uh, a man who owns the other half of this. 
this show. This is not just me. This is Mr. Eric Reanimator. Welcome, Eric. Thank you for having me back. And uh, well, really, this is half your show because you put out every month compilation edition. We're, we're franchised. Love that album. It's, it's nice. There we go. Humble little thing. It's been franchised. And you do your segment every month as well for the main podcast. So you work harder than I do on this damn show. Uh, maybe sometimes. But uh, <laughs> thank, thank you for including me. I mean, I, I, I am super grateful to to have this forum to talk about music and to uh, reach people and to talk to you every, you know, every couple of months or once a year or whatever it is we manage to get together. It is nice. So. It is definitely enjoyable. As I said, we're going to be uh, going, we're going to do a bit of a round sort of thing. Each of us will talk for a few minutes about an album that we really dug that we heard for the first time this year. You know, we'll, we'll sort of do it in a round table fashion, you know, be very civilized because we're civilized sorts of people. And if you're out there and you're thinking, I can't believe you picked that album or I can't believe you didn't hear that one before or really can't believe that you like that album. Well, you had an opportunity to send me an email and tell me your selection. But you know what? Some people out there actually did do that. So we'll be also reading some emails that I got sent by some wonderful listeners out there with their picks of the year. The whole purpose really of this show is to give you some recommendations and maybe groove on what the uh, listeners out there, what you people, what you love this year. So we can then go up and follow on with uh, those albums for next year. Uh, it's all about sharing the music. That's what we love doing here at Love That Album, hence the name of the show. Otherwise, we, we didn't go calling it something like Pick Your Nose because that would be a completely different podcast. We call it Love That Album because we love music. I think I might edit that bit out. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can get previous episodes at either lovethatalbum.podbean.com or lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or search for Love That Album in the iTunes store. If you want to get in contact, please email Morris at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash lovethatalbum and start a music-related discussion. What we're going to do here is we're going to start off, I think we'll start off because you're on the left-hand side of the screen and because I read left to right, Bernie Stickwell, my good okay. Padre from the See Here podcast. You can start. Would you uh, like to give us the first of your albums? And you've already gone and said off here that this is not in any particular order, so go for no, it. No, no, I... Um... And as I mentioned uh, to you guys uh, before we started recording, I found it quite difficult to put together a list of five. This changed quite a lot, but uh, I finally settled on this. Uh, the first one I'm going to mention uh, is also the oldest one on the list from 1978. So not super old, but uh, old enough. An LP by an artist called Annette Peacock, and the LP is called X Dreams. My mama never taught me how to cook. That's why I'm so skinny Yeah, my mama never taught me how to clean That's why Now, I'm not sure if either of you guys are aware of Annette Peacock. Oh, no. Don't know the name. No? Okay. Well, she was involved in sort of avant-garde kind of circles. I mean, this LP in itself is a quite... It's, it's mainly a jazz rock kind of LP, but it definitely has some avant-garde leanings. She worked with Paul Blay. Uh, oh, yes, I know Paul Blay. Through, I think, the 60s into the 70s. And she released her first solo LP, I think, in about 74, possibly, which is called... 
I'm the one, which is uh, in, in kind of avant-garde circles quite a, uh, a well-known and respected LP. This is her follow-up, which she released four years later, 78, and came across this on a blog. There was a write-up of it on a blog. I did a little bit of a YouTube search and then actually went out and bought a copy of the LP or tracked down a copy on Discogs, to be honest. I guess, as I said, it's, uh, it's a jazz rock kind of LP. It's quite funky as well. You could throw some kind of funk and some blues influences in there. Interesting people playing on here. Bill Bruford plays drums on some Ooh, of this nice love uh, Chris Bedding plays guitar on some of it as does Mick Ronson which I was kind of surprised to see oh. recorded in London I believe even though Annette Peacock is from the States originally Bernie did you say what she played or was she a vocalist or, or did she she's a uh, vocalist okay. and she seems to have written most of the tracks as well she covers Elvis's uh, Don't Be Cruel on here but uh, other than that she writes all the tracks on here now they do have a kind of improvised is too strong word there's quite a jammy feel to the lp but it's obviously people who really know how to play their instruments who are jamming and it kind of even within the space of a song it will go from real kind of sort of funky kind of workouts into a more bluesy thing into a more kind of stark piano-y kind of thing tracks are generally sort of five to seven minutes each her vocals are really interesting she's obviously got a heck of a range and she can really kind of growl in a sort of seductive manner but then really sort of hit the high notes as well and it doesn't feel forced or strained it feels really kind of natural i tell you what this lp reminded me of certainly initially and the more i listen to it the more i can see that comparison the two lps that betty davis recorded you know when you mentioned the growls uh, is that what I, you I, thought, the, yeah? the first thing i was going to ask you was hang on is, is she like betty davis yeah there's there's a definite well they were probably recording this stuff around the same time so that's kind of interesting but there's a definite similarity as i say annette peacock's coming at it from a more avant-garde kind of angle and that's really noticeable on the LP. Her lyrics as well are really interesting in that they're fairly simplistic kind of phrases which she just kind of repeats over and over but changing how she emphasises the words in them and, you know, the kind of uh, the way she's singing that whether it is a, a growl or whether it is a bit more, um, you know, high-pitched or a bit more torch-songy, you know. Right. So, yeah, overall, really, really interesting album. As I say, it's not her best-known LP. It's not the one she's kind of renowned for. I think this one's probably a little more accessible than uh, the other one. I'm the one, that one, I've only heard it a few times now, but that's a lot weirder, a lot more weird synthy squiggles and a lot more of a, a kind of free jazzy influence to that. So this one, yeah, uh, kind of funky, jazzy, rocky, good stuff. Check it out. Look into her if you haven't heard of her. Uh, interesting person and an interesting LP. Written down the uh, the name. That's absolutely one I'm going to follow up on. Just back to one more question I will ask because sure, yeah, we've made the Betty Davis comparison. Is she one of those sort of singers of that period who was singing a lot of sexually suggestive lyrics? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not, With a name like not, X Dreams. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of. Not, again, like the Betty St- Davis stuff, maybe, well, I think Betty's a little more overt, whereas Annette's a little bit more subtle, and it's not necessarily in the lyrics, it's what she's kind of bringing to the lyrics and how you can interpret that, mm-hmm. what she's bringing to it with her voice or delivery, you know. But yeah, definitely, the first track, which is, uh, I think we'll probably hear at some point, uh, My Mama Never Taught Me How to Cook, there's some definite, uh, shall we say, slightly sensual readings of things that uh, y- you can look into there. So yeah, not as overt as Betty Davis, but it's it's certainly there yeah now i'm definitely looking forward to listening to it did you actually get a chance to listen to the album that came out this year called betty davis at columbia recordings so it's like the demo you know, it's been meaning to get around to it all year and i just i haven't i've not heard anything from it yet so that's definitely yeah. one to grab in the new year 
it's definitely well worth your while. I know that there were some people who grumbled a little bit about it, saying, ah, it's just, you know, half-assed demos and jams sort of thing and not as fully realised as, you know, the, the official albums that came out yeah. later. But I, I mean, it is different to what she ended up sort of doing uh, later, not as hardcore funk as, you know, okay, like, they say I'm different. Yeah. It's, it's a, a lot more, I guess, bluesy and still funky, but a little less slight on the funk. But yeah. I, I, really, I really, really dug it. I think there were some people hung shit on her version of Born on the Bayou, but I really liked it. So anyway, I'd be interested to know your opinion once uh, you get hold of that. Yeah, well, once, uh, once I get it, Morris, I will, uh, I'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, Eric, your first pick. So my first pick is a very, well, this is probably going to be the earliest album that any of us talk about. Released in September of 19. 19- 67. It is the album Winds of Change by Eric Burden and the Animals. The bell tolls. The black plague has struck. And diseased eyes roll upwards as if knowing which direction their souls will travel. A woman in black cries as the deathly procession passes by and monks moan in mass. So when, when it comes to British invasion stuff, yeah, I, uh, I kind of like the Stones and I think everyone knows how I feel about the Beatles. We don't need to go into that, but I am a big fan of the animals. And in particular, uh, the the early stuff that everyone knows about, the, the great, you know, got to get out of this place and House of the Rising Sun. And I spotted this album in a dollar bin at a record show and it was kind of trashed. But I was like, oh, Eric Burden, the Animals, I need to check that out. And I was blown away. It's a great, dark, psych album. I don't understand why it doesn't get more attention in kind of the psych revival, psych reevaluation crowds. I'd, at least I don't hear people talking about it. It does include the famous cover of Paint It Black that Eric Burden recorded. And uh, San Franciscan Nights is uh, another song that was kind of a hit off of it. But the rest of it has a kind of dark, folky, psych element. There's maybe a little bit of that pentangle kind of mysticism going on in the record. But I, it, just, it just grabs me. And, and to be honest, uh, Eric Burden is, is, a, is a character I'm kind of a little bit fascinated by. He definitely, to my mind, is one of the great overlooked and underrated singers. Sure, people talk about House of the Rising Sun. People talk about gotta get out of this place don't let me be misunderstood but there's just so much more going on and his record from a couple years ago I was a big fan of and this one uh, it's just made me want to check out more of the stuff that he's done over the years are you a fan of um, his funk work with War? I haven't really explored that too much I'm not, I'm not a huge funk fan but that's definitely something that I'm, I'm interested in checking out I'm kind of interested in really digging into his 70s stuff because it seems like as with a lot of his peers that there was this, this period in the 70s when that initial fame had kind of faded and then these guys were, were kind of clutching at doing whatever to stay afloat. Also, he was a major Bo Diddley fan, which I am as well. And so I, I think that there's something about these bands that when you talk about the British invasion to me, I think the argument could be made that, you know, the number three place goes to the animals. I think that's an argument that can be made or the kinks, but one of the two. I'm going to go with the animals. Just like when you talk about the early days of rock and roll, it's, you know, Elvis or Chuck Berry. But I, I think Bo Diddley's got a solid grasp on number three. 
when you talk about punk rock, it's the, the Pistols or the Clash and, you know, the Damned, who I love, are definitely number three. So there's something about these bands that, that I guess you would say get the bronze medal that, that appeals to me. Maybe it's a lack of overexposure. Maybe it's just that they're there, but, uh, you know, just, just out of step with the mainstream enough that it speaks to me. That's my number. It's not really my number five. I'm, I have five records. One of them's my favorite. All the rest are, are just kind of in that, that top five. And I definitely want to, as I said, check out some of uh, Burton's 70s and early 80s work during the uh, coming year. Excellent. Either of you guys familiar, familiar with this stuff at all? or I mean, I, I know the, uh, the the singles that everybody knows, mm-hmm. obviously, and I know some of the war stuff, actually. Yep. I, I wonder if he's one of those kind of artists, like you were saying, he, he doesn't get talked about in the same way that a lot of other sort of bands from that period have been kind of mm-hmm. rediscovered and reassessed. I wonder if people just know the singles and just assume that that's it and don't dig any deeper, which is a shame if that's the case, but maybe yeah. that's why he's never been reassessed in that way. So I wonder how much of it comes down to, uh, well, I guess, you know, now in, in nowadays where CDs becoming less and less of a thing, but I just wonder how much of his back catalogue had been made available over the years. And, you know, we, we've seen uh, deluxe editions of this, that and the other. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe his stuff was made available in a fancy repackaging but that's possibly got as much to do with introducing yeah, music yeah, to maybe. a new generation as anything. I don't you know, know how much of Eric Gooden's stuff really was sort of made that much available. That, that could be and I, I think that at, at the same time what makes me maybe able to check out some of the, the stuff from the 70s and into the 80s is that it's going to show up on Spotify. Like this album is on Spotify if anybody wants to check it out. And uh, YouTube, a lot of this stuff winds up on YouTube. Sure, sure so, yeah, yeah. So you can sample yeah, YouTube's, it. Uh, YouTube's a great resource for tracking stuff like this down these days, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Someone mentions an LP, you think, oh, well, you know, that's kind of like the first place you look to try and find it. So. Right, right. Winds of Change by Eric Burden. Yes. Not it's, by it's actually credited as Eric was, Burden and the Animals. <laughs> I was, I was going to make that gag, Bernie. Uh, yeah, oh, beat you to it, Morris. <laughs> uh, damn you. All right, so I guess my first choice for this show, there's a new artist. I guess, well, this is his debut album, but I'm guessing like he's been sort of performing and writing songs for quite a while. This is a guy from New South Wales. I can't remember where exactly where, but he's a rural sort of guy. His name is William Crichton. He's put out a self-titled album. 2,000 clicks from the Queensland border Lying in a ditch out west of Wagon Waiting on a ride from my only little brother been smoking, I've been drinking like my mother We were kids in the back of a white century Cold chisel records and long straight roads Clip around the ears when you talk back to her Kids in the back of a white century it's been getting the attention of some of the uh, independent radio stations as well as our um, ABC. I haven't sort of decided whether or not he's channeling an inner Bruce Springsteen, or you know, he may or may not be, but if you're a fan of Springsteen's album Tunnel of Love, there's something of that album's approach to relationships and, and a level of intensity that make it really a worthwhile comparison. And I'm talking to you, Davey Mack. I know that you're a big fan of that album. And I guess another songwriter that I'd want to compare William Crichton to was an artist who we actually covered on the show a couple of years back, Texan singer-songwriter Robert Ellis. 
But the thing is, despite the fact that I guess this fits under the Roots banner, and I know that of the last 20, 30 years, Roots music has gone under the wider term of Americana, this is a very Australian-sounding album. I'll get more to that in a moment. The album was produced by uh, the current Crowded House drummer, Matt Sherrod. It's weird for me to say that, because really, for me, Crowded House is Paul Hester, but never mind. Uh, so Matt Sherrod, though, has brought a beautiful approach, I think, to the production of this album. You can't emphasize the dynamics quite well in uh, in Crichton's songs. There's tunes like uh, the album opener, Love is Hard to Find, or I think a song that became something of a single on the ABC called Woman Like That, which does take a gorgeous, gentle approach, but you listen to the song and you're sort of waiting for it to explode. It never quite does, but I think the song that people have been talking a lot about within regard to this album is uh, a tune called 2000 Clicks, and Uh, It really evokes a very strong feel and memory that uh, William must have had of driving through rural New South Wales with his brother, presumably as kids. And he cleverly quotes very specific things, which I guess, you know, a lot of singer-songwriters tend to do that evoke memory. So he quotes about the white centura that he and his brother used to drive in with their parents or listening to Cole Chisel on uh, those long drives. Look, it's it's just a really passionate, beautifully crafted album. I think I'll be returning a lot to it. It's not anthemic, which is a big plus. You know, I mean, I, when I mentioned Springsteen before, you might have sort of thought, oh yeah, born in the USA sort of stuff. It's not like that. As I said, it's more carefully considered Tunnel of Love era Springsteen, if you're going to make a comparison at all. And I just, yeah, I love the melodies and I love the songs of rural life and love told in a realistic sort of fashion. Just, yeah, a terrific album. If you're a local and you like songwriters like Van Walker or Mick Thomas, then, yeah, this is certainly an album for you. Check it out. That's my first selection, so I think we'll go back to you, uh, Senior Stickwell, for your second album. Okay. Right, this one is... uh, It's funny, most of my choices are probably from the last 15 years. This one is from 2012. It's by a band called Chain and the Gang, uh, and it's an album called In Cool Blood. I don't believe in free will. is composed of essentially it's uh, a guy called Ian Sphenonius and a bunch of other uh, kind of rotating musicians. I think this is their third LP. Now I suspect uh, again Eric you'll probably know Ian Sphenonius. He was uh, in Nation of Ulysses and he was in the makeup as well. I, I know those um, bands. Sure. Uh, Nation of Ulysses were a fantastic kind of uh, DC punk band, late 80s, early 90s, I guess. Uh, and then the makeup was his kind of soul rock review uh, through the rest of the 90s. I think he's done a few other things since. Chain and the Gang are kind of, this album in particular, I've heard some of the other LPs and they don't grab me quite as much as this one does. This one just floored me. It's essentially kind of, I guess, indie rock, for want of a better term. Um, it's got quite a strong Sort of garage influence, quite a strong punk influence as well, but just really, really catchy. I mean, you could term these as pop songs, really. Really, really catchy songs. Ian Svenonius, oh God, what a name. Ian Svenonius is quite renowned for being a bit of a kind of prankster, a bit mischievous, not just with his lyrics, but kind of how he conducts himself. He's written several kind of tracks uh, sort of equating the record industry with communism and things like this. And the whole nation of Ulysses was based on this kind of 
I think, situationist kind of art kind of project. So he's kind of an inter, or he seems to be kind of an intellectual guy, but using a more、um, kind of palatable medium to put across some ideas. And certainly this LP, most of the songs, gosh,、uh, they're you know they're kind of they seem a little twee, they seem a little、um, what's the word, kind of lightweight, I guess.、Uh, for example, there's a song called "Certain Kinds of Trash," which is basically him and、uh, the co-singer whose name is Katie Alice Greer. They just sing a song about certain kinds of trash that you don't see anymore. And it's just a list of like、uh, you know cans with those kind of pop-off tops and、uh, TV dinner trays and things like that. You know, that's a, that's a rock、uh, staple, though, isn't it? To to do the list song. I, well, I guess it is, yeah. But to do a list song of something so banal as maybe that in itself is a comment on that kind of you know rock、uh, sort of concept. You know, right? Produced by Calvin Johnson of K Records fame, and I think、uh, I think this was released on K. Actually, yes, it was. So you can draw a line from this right the way back through the Olympia thing, and from that to Seattle, and that whole early nineties kind of, for want of a better term, grunge and the sort of alternative music that followed it. So yeah, this is a really great fun LP, and initially feels kind of lightweight, but he's certainly、uh, kind of hinting at something a bit sort of deeper, and maybe pointing the emperor hasn't got any clothes, you know. So yeah. There you go, chain in the gang in cool blood. I was actually going to make the stupid facetious joke saying that chain didn't take over once cool left the group or something like that. <laughs> no, no, that's I'd let you get away with that one, Morris. That's fine, yeah. And in fact, I, I started <laughs> to think until you made the description that when the album was called In Cool Blood, I thought, oh my god, there really was like a, a Julius Caesar type takeover or something. But.、Um... <laughs> I like the idea just,、uh, of somebody stabbing a, a disco band leader in the back with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to mention as well, one of their、uh, earlier LPs has got what I think is probably one of the greatest LP titles of all time. It's called "Music's Not for Everyone." I think <laughs> it's fantastic. So, yeah, there.、Uh, I mean, Svenonius is a really interesting guy, and it's it's worth sort of doing a bit of research and checking out some of his back catalogue. I mean, if if you like noisy punk music, you must check out Nation of. Ulysses. They are just. They were a tremendous band. But everything he's done is is kind of interesting and worth a look. I think.、Mm. Okay, Eric, your next choice. All right. Speaking of punk music, my next record is by a punk slash proto punk band that formed in the seventies. Original or early members included Chrissy Hind, later of the Pretenders, and one Reg Burns, who's better known as Captain Sensible of the Damned, which is where I heard about this record, and it is the record by Johnny Moped. Johnny Moped was kind of in that time between 
the British pub rock scene of Nick Lowe and Eggs Over Easy and Dr. Feelgood and the proper punk rock era of the Pistols and the Clash. And so, you know, they kind of fell into that punk, proto-punk, slightly garage rock, but pretty much just revved up straight ahead rock. And that's to me why I like this record as much as I do is because it might be one of the best straight ahead rock records of the year. Captain Sensible talked about it on his Facebook page. I don't follow a whole lot of musicians' Facebook pages, but the Captain's is always worth following. He's not whoring himself out. He's not posting like crazy. He's a very thoughtful, down-to-earth guy who shares little bits about what he's doing day-to-day and about music that he likes. And I think that's that's about appropriate for what he cares about and what his music has been about. So this, this record, it's just, like I said, straight-ahead, fun, rock and roll. Um, it's got a little bit of, you know, reaching a little bit beyond the scope of what the band really should be. You know, there's some backup singers and that kind of stuff where he kind of goes for a little bit more than, than maybe he's ready for. But I think he nails it. To me, this is just just a solid record. You just put it on and do the dishes or, you know, rock out or whatever. So, so hang on. So you said the name of the band was Johnny Moped? Johnny Moped's no, name of the band. And, and, the yeah. the and the singer is Johnny Moped. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, yeah. it's the singer's name and the band's name. Okay. And yeah. So what's the album's name? It's called It's a Real Cool Baby. So, and that, that also is on Spotify if anybody wants to check it out. There's a, uh, a documentary that's either just come out or about to come out about oh, Johnny okay. Moped. Um, apparently, he's quite an interesting, eccentric character. So, that should be uh, interesting viewing. It's yeah. out there somewhere. I'm not sure what it's called, but I'll do a bit of research. Oh. Sorry, Morris, go on. You were saying. Oh, no, no. Oh, I just it, sort of want to know when did, when did this album come out? Is it like. It's from this year. It is this year. Okay. It is. It is a 2016 release on uh, Damaged Good Records. And I have a nice green vinyl copy of it. Oh, so. very good. Damage Goods, the same record label as uh, the Headcoats as well, which we were talking yeah. about off air earlier. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that there, you know, we talk about the Pistols. We talk about the Clash. I talk about the Dam. Some people talk about Gang of Four or, you know, Wire, the Buzzcocks. But there's this whole world of other bands that did not get their due, that were part of the puzzle that led up to or were part of the era. And, you know, some of them maybe, you know, maybe in hindsight, you, you go, OK, they were that was interesting what they were doing or they're part of it. But some of some of them also had music that was definitely worth hearing and definitely worth searching out. Now, I haven't loved the early stuff I heard from Johnny Moped, but I, I think this record's solid, and I think it's well worth checking out if you're into exploring that 70s era of punk and also exploring where the the survivors, frankly, from that era have gone and what they're doing. Yeah, cool. Nice. Hey, right. uh, so I just looked up the, the documentary. It's called Basically Johnny Moped, uh, and it was made in 2013. Okay. Uh, it's on IMDb, 8.4 out of 10. That's pretty good, isn't it? So uh, it's out there. Sounds like that one would be worth a look. I, I, can, I, can I just can I, I just say my patented uh, golden age of music documentary comment here? Yes, you can. I can't guarantee that you won't be suing people for copyright, though. <laughs> That's okay, as long as we get more cool documentaries. I, I, I sense a, uh, a future C here discussion, Bernie. Yeah, possibly. Absolutely. Mm. If we can track that one down, definitely. Mm. Mm. So uh, my next choice, and I'm going to be sort of veering into your territory, uh, Eric. I'm going to be discussing a compile here. Uh, it's, okay. And actually, I should say, despite the fact that I've gone and said, you know, anything that you've discovered this year, but all my selections are all from this year, as it turns out. But this music is not. Over the last few years, festival records here in Australia has been doing a fantastic job, like as 
Aztec Records have been doing in digging into the archives of old Australian music and like Aztec Records have sort of been re-releasing old albums that people had forgotten about might have been big in their day but it had long been forgotten about I know that uh, my good mate Dave Blom and Michael Persh both of them are uh, big keen fans of the label and some of the albums that they've been putting out Festival Records have been doing something different they've been releasing anthologies you would have seen on the Facebook group that I've been um, talking a bit about albums like Boogie which covered early 70s blues and hard rock Silver Roads well played songs from the Australian country rock scene of the early 70s and most recently When the Sun Sets Over Carlton which featured songs from bands basically the bohemian scene in uh, the Carlton and northern Melbourne area of uh, the mid 70s so an album that I was not expecting and didn't even know that there was enough to really cover in a compile came out maybe just a couple of months ago this is called A Life in the Sun and it's basically a compilation it's a double barrel here because it's Australian surf music but more to the point what makes it really interesting it's all music for surf movies To be honest, up until very recently, I've never even watched a surf movie. Can I ask a question real quick? By, yeah, sure. by surf, surf movie, do you mean movies about surfers like yeah, not big Crushing so. Blue is one here, or do you mean films that are documentaries showing people surfing? Yes, the latter. So we're, I'm not. Um, so you're not talking Big Wednesday? Correct. Okay. I'm not, I was actually yeah going to make that point. Yeah, we're not we're not talking uh, like a, a narrative where the main characters are surfing. We're talking yeah films which are basically surf porn, if you want to put it like that. I remember seeing advertised in the paper, you know, every summer, I think, when I was a kid, that there'd be some local cinema that would be doing like a week's long season of, of a surf movie. So, I, really, I had no idea, but this really fantastic C, double CD with such comprehensive liner notes covers something like 15 films and the beauty of it is you know when when we think of surf music a lot of it is either the beach boys jan and dean style of music songs about the surfing life or we get dick dale or the ventures or any of those sorts of bands with that great uh, tremolo guitar sound but the beauty of this and it covers uh, surf films going from 1965 from a film called surfing roundabout through up to the last film that they have music from is called Highway 1 from 1977 and 15 films in all and it's so diverse so you get an artist called Steve Little doing a tune called Surfy Roundabout The more they try to wipe me out I'll stick to the surfy roundabout The more they try to wipe me out I'll stick to the surfy roundabout With my shorts and tatters and my hair and a hang I'll skim out the back and walk the plank After all day planing on the reef break curlies I'll line up in the dunes with the surfer girlies The more they try to wipe me out I'll stick to the surfy and it, it sounds very folky and very, very safe. Uh, that's from 1965. And there's a band called The Sunsets. Who 
wrote songs for a film called Hot Generation in 1967, and I think this would be something that would be right up your alley, Eric. It's very nugget-like, and I was thinking 13th Floor uh, Elevators. There's about four songs that uh, they show, that they play from that film. The one that I really, really, really love, um, uh, songs from uh, a film called Evolution, featuring an early 70s band, well, late 60s, early 70s band called Tamam Shuck. of Tamim Shud's material before and they actually had a couple of songs on the one surf film that I have watched and my many thanks to listener Matthew Hunt for uh, getting me a copy of the film Morning of the Earth which is really the most famous of the Australian surfing movies but I had never had a chance to see it and just sort of as a bit of an aside the regard that it's held in was I think a few years ago when it was the 40th anniversary of the film all the surviving musicians gathered at the I think it was the Regent Theatre here in Melbourne they showed a screening of the film and a band played the soundtrack live while the film was running. The forces of the universe and the elements of space Conjured up your being, your size, your time, your shape You were created with all the beauty they could call And earth, you surely are the measure of them all That would have been something really, really special. And and yeah, obviously there are a few tracks of Morning of the Earth on this compile. You couldn't not. Really, there's just so much great stuff here. Uh, As I said, yeah, Tamim Shud had songs like uh, Revolution, Mr. Strange, which brings psychedelia to the surfing discussion. And, you know, uh, Morning of the Earth has a mixture of, you know, prog and boogie, and it sort of reminds me a little bit of In the Court of the Crimson King by uh, King Crimson, some of that stuff. The booklet is an amazing record of the artifacts, and unfortunately it says very sadly that much of this type of music no longer exists because there are a few master tapes that are available. They used as many master tapes as they could, but a lot of it's mastered off uh, well-preserved vinyl, which is fine. I'm just glad that anything that keeps the history of Australian rock music alive, and as I said, most of these bands I had never heard of, and certainly apart from Morning of the Earth, I've never heard of any of these films. Yeah, that's a really great little compile, A Life in the Sun, only came out about two, three months ago, so uh, Festival Records out there, you're doing a fantastic job, and I'm going to see if I can track down a fellow who compiled this uh, double CD, see if we can maybe get him in for a, a Love That Album bonus episode, just to talk about some of these bands, it's really fascinating, and about surf films in general, so... Um, nice. Go ahead. Cool, that sounds really good, interesting. Hmm. Alright, so uh, we've gone and done two go-rounds of our albums, we've got three more that we want to discuss here, but what we'll do, we'll, have, we'll go for a quick break, play a, a podcast promo or two, and then when we come back, I'll read a couple of emails for you. We've had, uh, we want to know what the listeners out there, what their favourite albums of the year were. So we'll go through a couple of emails and then we'll have another couple of go-arounds of our own selections. So um, you're listening to Love That Album, uh, episode 97. Morris here, Bernie there, Eric somewhere else over there. We'll be back shortly. 
See here. Music and movies. Movies and music. Join Morris, Tim and Bernie every month as they discuss music-related movies. iTunes, Facebook or download direct from seehere.podbeam.com The See Here Podcast. It's a blast. Far out. And we're back from break. Welcome to episode 97 of Love That Album, where we're discussing our favorite discoveries of this year, musically speaking. So as I mentioned before the break, I received some emails. Always a lovely thing to get. So I'll start off with an email from a, a, a previous co-host of uh, Love It Album, my good buddy Jeff Smith, and he's gone and written, Hi Morris, if it's not too late, here's some more music for the end of year review. Break Time by Mr. Gary W. Talent. Only just got it tonight, but what a belter. If you like old style rock and roll, rockabilly mixed with blues, swing, country, boogie woogie infused with fun, great musicians, and held together by fun and serious lyrics delivered in a gravelly southern voice, somewhere between John Hyatt, Steve Earle, and Satchmo, then this is the album of 2016 for you. If you don't like that stuff, then listen to something else. I've only had time to play it once as yet, but it will be going on frequent rotation. Funny, we mentioned Slim Jim Phantom before. There are echoes of the Stray Cats in this one too. A little less guitar flamboyance, but the loose sound and slapping and howling, drumming and yelling definitely get a mention. Hope you're enjoying some time off and the family are well and the celebrations of Hanukkah is going well. Catch up soon, Jeff. Yes, I are. Thank you very much, Jeff. And uh, Mr. Gary W. Talent being the bassist for the E Street Band. I'm not sure if this is his first album, but it'd be uh, only taken him like 45 years to release a solo album, but there you go. Yep, that sounds interesting to me. I'll certainly be searching that one out. Now, we've got uh, another couple of emails. I'll read one now and I'll read the other one after the next break. So I'll go with uh, David Kowalski. David is uh, a fellow from the uh, Love It Album music uh, Facebook group and is often putting in contributions there. He made actually a, a recommendation to me, I think, I don't know, it was in the last 12 or 18 months, of a great surf album called Surferama, great compilation, which uh, I think would definitely appeal to you, Eric, because uh, mm. I, I, there was uh, there were some associations with Radio Birdman on, uh, ah. on that collection. So some uh, yeah, really great compile there. But in other recommendations, what's he got to say? So, uh, hi, Morris. I love the debut from Camp Cope this year. I thought it was a bold opening statement for a young band to make. It was earnest and passionate. Georgia seems as bemused and frustrated with the current state of the world as I am, and that resonated with me. I love the lead bass work on the album too. Changes by Charles Bradley, and it is sin was one of the jams of 2016. Baronia by Hockey Dad. Patch the Sky by Bob Mould. Bodacious by Purple, in brackets, a singing drummer, yay. Um, I'll second yay that, I like singing drums. B-grade University by Alex Leigh. Long Time by Taco Cat, 
Taco Cat. I hope I'm reading that right. What a fun and fantastic record this is. You Can't Fire Me, I Quit was a jam and a half. Such a great song. It sounds like the sort of thing you'd expect to hear from Johnny Paycheck. You Can't Fire Me, I Quit. <laughs> uh, it's that, that 70s kind of wordplay. Exactly. Take that song and shove it um <laughs> you know, actually this okay so this next choice i wonder if this is one that you got into uh, eric this is an album i've meant to get but um a high recommend from david kowalski colvin and earl the opening track come what may is the best thing i've heard from either of them for ages the rest of the record is cool too but they really should have left ruby tuesday alone have you heard that album <laughs> eric the colvin and I, earl I have one? i have not I, I have to admit i have not not been uh, checking out more of the more recent Steve Earle stuff, I've been kind of trying to dig into some of his like late '80s stuff recently. So, okay, but that's that's certainly one I'd like to uh, search out. I think that'll be an interesting combination. Nice to uh, see the two of them working together. A, a spanner in the works by Beans on Toast, or is it the other way around? I'm not sure. I eagerly await the annual release by the Essex Alt Folks. Uh, alt folky but this was uh but this one was a bit of a letdown compared to last year's album rolling up the hill or even 2013's giving everything which may be his best the opener 2016 is a brilliant state of the nation address shudder 2 by shudder the second album by local central coast band shudder who supported Faceplant at their triumphant comeback gig in Newcastle. That's Australian Newcastle, not British Newcastle, I'm guessing. The album was pretty great with Heart That Matters being a standout track. Monolith of Phobos, The Lennon Claypool Delirium. I have a soft spot for Les Claypool, and while he's not consistently great in his solo flights of fancy, he's onto something great with this project. And, oh, and his final selection is uh, of this year is William Crichton, self-titled, was pretty good. That's... Uh, my first selection 2000 miles was a great song yes indeed it is and first time listens for me to the two Stephen wright albums i have a pony and i still have a pony um, <laughs> i haven't heard those albums in years but they were hysterical i loved them i i got to see Stephen wright do a live show many years ago came to uh, melbourne international comedy festival either of you seen him or or heard those albums I I have not. I have, I have both those uh, LPs on my iPod, and I listen to them quite regularly. I think he's a genius, Stephen Wright. Never saw him live, though. He was absolutely brilliant. And after a few minutes, you just sort of think, I've got to, I got to shut off, otherwise I'll bust a gut. I'm not going to listen for the next <laughs> 10 minutes so I can just recover. <laughs> yeah, very, very funny. Guy. And the deluxe edition of Manilow by Smudge. I know Smudge existed for years, but never gave them a listen until recently. The bonus Tom Morgan demos was great, especially. Alison tells me that she's not sure what she's got is contagious. A beautiful retelling of a conversation in song that name checks both the Lemonheads and Huskadoo. I also gave An Evening with Wildman Fisher a listen for the first time. <laughs> Fantastic. The double LP produced by Frank Zappa of the mentally fragile street performer in 1968. I really can't work out what the purpose of it is, whether Frank thought he was a genuine talent or whether he just liked the freak show element of wild man's performances i don't know but i thought the artistic merit of it was dubious at best please correct me if i've called that one incorrectly uh, what, what do you think bernie frank zappa again he was a bit of a mischievous kind of guy and I, I kind of always felt that he put that lpa more as a kind of you know a kind of fuck you really than uh, <laughs> any any genuine thought because oh, any genuine thought that one man fisher was really a talented guy because he was you know he was a guy with some serious mental health issues and there's a, a kind of slightly dubious feel of exploitation around that whole thing that zappa did with him i think right yeah i don't know i don't know 
So just finishing this one, it says, I'm a bit slow on the uptake, but I discovered the first Royal Blood album this year. Ten Ton Skeleton was a big song for me this year. i got to say, I'm also a huge fan of uh, that Royal Blood, the first Royal Blood album. I think they've released an EP for the last 12 months. I haven't heard it, though. I'm pretty sure Max would have. But uh, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a great album. If I think of anything else, I'll drop you a line. All the best, M. Catch you soon. Regards, David. Thanks very much, David. Really, really appreciate you uh, sharing those thoughts. And uh, we have one more email, which I'll read at the next break but meanwhile we'll carry on our discussion Bernie we uh, return to you for your third selection okay next up an album by a band called Dark Blue it's their first LP Uh, came out in 2014 and it's called Pure Reality I can feel the fronted by a guy called John Sharkey III, who used to be in a band called Clock Cleaner, who put out a few LPs on the Load label, which is a label kind of renowned for noisy, punk, just general weirdness. You're probably both familiar with the band Lightning Bolt. They both they uh, started on Load Records, if that gives you an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not, I don't know. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard the name. I haven't heard any material. I have heard the name. I know, I know uh, about it. They're one of those post-rock bands, right? Well, kind of post-everything, really. Lightning Boltworth, they're kind of a bit difficult to pigeonhole. It's a, a, a guy, a, a singing drummer, actually, Morris. Ooh, I mean. Uh, and a, a guy with a, a kind of customised bass and bass rig, which he would get all these strange noises and tones through. So they're phenomenal, actually. Live, they're uh, something else, Lightning Bolt. But anyway, uh, Dark Blue. Uh, yeah, John Sharkey the Third used to be in a band called Clock Cleaner. They split up. He moved to Australia for a couple of years, where he started uh, writing and recording some songs for himself. Uh, I believe he's moved back to the States now and put together this band, Dark Blue. Uh, very different to Clock Cleaner, who were a real sort of noise rock kind of bands. Dark Blue have a very early 80s post punk British kind of sound. Quite, I suppose you could describe it as a little bit gothy in a way. Like Susie and the Banshees? More of a sort of Joy Division-y kind okay. of uh, a vibe, I think. But certainly that kind of sort of flanged bass kind of sound, you know. Is it right. flan- I'm, I'm not a musical expert, but you know that kind of <laughs> echoey, twangy bass, which a lot of sort of post-punk records from the uh, early mm, 80s right. kind of had. Right. He's changed his vocal style. He was quite kind of screamy with Clock Cleaner, as I guess one would be in a noise rock band. But um, he's got uh, his, his singing voice seems to have gone down an octave or two for dark blue and again i suppose you can see a bit of an ian curtis influence there but very very simple songs but played with a real kind of intensity passion fairly mid-tempo there's nothing particularly kind of fast here and a lot of songs that are kind of dealing with the human condition with affairs of the hearts just kind of, I don't know, general malaise of uh, 21st century living. So nothing particularly new, but at the moment that kind of early 80s post-punk sound seems to be quite in vogue again amongst the young people, I believe. So it kind of makes sense that a band sounding like this should be uh, kind of putting out records nowadays. So yeah, a a great LP. Uh, Two or three really absolutely killer tracks. 
straight off the bat really knock you on your ass good and the rest of the LP is more of a grower you kind of have to spend some time with it but the way the LP is sequenced works really well because you get a killer track a couple of tracks which you know are kind of growers then another punch to the face and then a few more growers and it ends with a really good track as well so they've obviously put a lot of thought into the sequencing with this nice but uh, yeah if you like that early 80s doomy post-punk kind of sound totally recommend this they've just released a new lp as well i believe uh, about a month ago which i haven't picked up yet uh, pure reality by dark blue there you go i'll uh, be recommending that to max it sounds like the sort of thing that'll be right yeah i think he might dig it actually yeah yeah all right so uh, eric your third choice so i'm gonna be uh i guess this is obvious this is out of all of us, I'm assuming this is probably going to be the most critically heralded album of the year that anybody has talked about. According to the wiki page on this album, it's currently sitting at an 88 out of 100 on Megacritic. Hmm. Or, or Metacritic, I'm sorry. It is the album American Band by the Drive-By Truckers. <laughs> Either of you guys listen to this record at all? I was going to say, I know the band, but I, I've never really sort of spent much time with them, and I okay. certainly haven't heard the new LP, so... I've attempted, like, several times to listen to the Drive-By Trackers. I know that John Sterrett in Sydney, who was on a few of the Shit in the Shit mm-hmm. episodes earlier on, is a huge Drive-By Trackers fan, and yeah, I tried to listen to them, and for some reason, I don't know, especially because I like that Southern rock style yeah. of thing, but... They just really didn't do it for me. I got to, I got to say. So, so I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Even though I own a couple of their earlier albums, and I was like, yeah, this is okay. This, I mean, it, it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. But wow, this record is, first of all, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's a rebirth of the band. They've lost a couple of their members along the way. Uh, one of their main members has moved out of the South to Portland, Oregon. This record, as far as the music goes, it's a great straight-ahead rockin' country, country southern rock record. It's got the hooks, it's got the melodies. The, one of the two vocalists, and I'm not sure which one, sounds exactly like Rocky Erickson. So that's a hook for me right, right off the bat with his singing. The content of this record is about the socio-political landscape of America 2016. This deals with Black Lives Matters. It deals with racial violence in the South. It deals with institutional racism and injustice. But not from a hectoring, this is, you know, this is all someone's fault kind of way. It, it kind of humanizes the, the people that are, are, are victims, not just of, of the minority victims, but kind of the everyday American, small town, rural people that have felt the, basically the cold thumb of globalism pass them by. And it does not in any way justify 
the shootings of unarmed black men or the racial inequality, but it understands it in a way that I have yet to hear discussed in uh, any medium with what's going on with America today. And it, it's fascinating for that reason. I just, I also think it's a solid, listenable rock record that at its best has thought provoking and thoughtful things to say about people caught in the middle, about people who, who live in a culture that is having to evolve because of long-held beliefs that are being challenged very directly. Mm. That sounds like a very heavy, hard record, and it can be listened to in that way. But it's, it's also a record that's absolutely listenable. So and I think the fact that it's, it's pretty been universally hailed probably speaks a lot to that side of things. You know, if out of 100, it's got a score, of, an average score of 88, that's, that's pretty good wow. you know, ac- across the, the music critic landscape. So it's, it's, I think it's also an important record. I think that as, as time goes on, it's going to be seen in the context of being a signpost of, of what was going on in America at that point in time. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm just looking here. One of the critics from Salon referred to it as it's to 2016 what American Idiot was for the Bush era. So it's well worth checking out. And if, if they're one of those bands that you've had trouble listening to or not gotten into, once again, the album's on Spotify. I, I would say, you know, give it a listen, see if it works for you. If it doesn't, hey, that's fine. You know, not, not everything's going to connect with everybody. I'm in America, so my perspective is, is largely as an American. But there's an international audience listening to this podcast. And I know because I've spent time abroad that oftentimes what the news media shows abroad is very different from what day-to-day reality is in, in America. Mm. I mean, it looks like people are being shot on the streets every single day, that, that we have these massive epidemic problems. And we do have those problems, but it's not as bleak as, as maybe, you know, everybody sees on the news if that's all you're getting. It's, it's kind of like when uh, all, you know, all we see in America is about the uh, the bad stuff happening in any part of the world that, you know, the assumption is, oh, there's bad stuff going on there and that's it. We don't see, you know, the day-to-day lives of, of the everyday people and we don't see the reality that people are living with. So I completely hear that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, on that really strong recommendation, I will search that album out. I was tempted, like, I don't know, was it maybe two, three, four years ago? They recorded an album as the backup band for Betty Levette, who mm-hmm. is a, a singer who I really love and got to see her perform here. That should have been my impetus to give him another shot because mm-hmm. she's someone who I love. But no, American band, I give you my vow, I will be looking this up. And uh, okay. hopefully, if not necessarily changed my mind about the earliest stuff, but it'd be nice to be able to say, okay, I found an album of theirs, I really did. Well, and and this might also be a point where the band has evolved to a point where some of the things that, that have kept people from enjoying their music in the past might be a step forward and enough of a change in perspective and songwriting because they've had a number of songwriters come through the band that they've refined it to the point where it's it's maybe more accessible Mm. yep all right so uh we'll go now to my third choice it's a a bit of an embarrassment where there's an artist who is in your own backyard and you don't actually discover them for a few years until after they've started although mind you this guy does have a low profile it's a local singer-songwriter called Danny Walsh, but uh, he put out an album this year under his group's name, The Danny Walsh Band, and that's B-A-N-N-E-D, Danny Walsh Band. He put out an album called The Dirt in the Sky. Oh! I got some of that makes the world seem so clear and bright. 
I did something very, very shallow. I normally don't go buying an album based on its cover, but this was the first time that I can recall that I did. So the front cover features an illustration of the group in a style that I just sort of imagined Robert Crumb would have drawn. So I thought, all right, you've got my attention. There's wild playing and singing and drinking going on in the front cover. And they just looked like the ultimate bar band. And when you put the CD on, effectively, that's really what they are. In interviews, Danny Walsh has gone and declared his love for uh, Mad Dogs and Englishmen of uh, Joe Cocker. And it's this sort of style of wild, fun music with strong leanings towards soul, R&B and, and early 70s country rock that really come to my mind. Normally, you know, we accept that, you know, the guitar is obviously the bedrock of any rock band in this vein, but I love that on this album, the piano with sort of a barrel house piano type feel is a very strong part of fleshing these songs out. And if you want, I guess, a more recent sort of comparison, I don't know if either of you guys listen to or are familiar with the Felice Brothers out of New York State. Uh, I know of them, I, again. I think. Well, Felice Brothers, they sort of were like a... 21st century version of the band very uh, you know not at all tight they were sloppy and i mean that in a great way it was just sort of great bar music fantastic the slices of americana played in a, a very raucous sloppy sort of way i'd say this isn't quite like that this is a bit of a broader sound than that but that's probably a, a good idea if you want to sort of know what else to compare them to besides so that mad dogs and englishman thing part one of the cd is called the dirt and it's the more obviously fun part of the album the sky i wouldn't say is exactly ballad territory but the songs take a, a darker tone and a more reflective sort of approach than the first half so my favorite song from the uh, fun part if you want to call it that is a song called hindsight glasses it's a really really raucous rock tune that you just want to sing in a pub full of guys who've had a few beers and your arms around each other and jumping up and down while the band plays and you've got you know it's just got fantastic lyrics maybe i would lend them out if i had a spare do you think they'd send the kids to war if leaders had a pair? I, I, <laughs> just a, really, it's, it's a fun album, but a lot of the lyrics in these songs are well thought out. So it's a great combination of bar band, drinking, uh, ha- having a few beers, and having a great time, but something to think about as well. And my favorite song from uh, The Sky Path is a, a song called Drunk for Days. And here's another thing, because both of you as fellow film fans will definitely appreciate the opening song on the album is called Rubber Bells and was inspired by a Roger Corman classic, Bucket of Blood. Oh, nice. So uh, nice, he's, nice. nice to know. He's, he's a film fan as well as a great music fan. The playing is a million miles from Slick. But it's just a beautiful, glorious, ragged sound. It, it just sounds like it's been put together by a band that's having the time of their lives. It's just going to be my mission in 2017 to see them and to see them lots if, if they're playing lots. So um, there you go. Danny Walsh Band, B-A-N-N-E-D, The Dirt and The Sky. That's uh, a I'm looking at their Facebook page and it looks like they do play a lot around so you should have that opportunity i will definitely avail myself of that i'm hoping that they play sometime over the uh january break while tim is here so uh, oh when tim's there yeah, yeah that would be lo- perfect wouldn't I'd it love to take him to that he's gonna he's, he'd have a ball we're, we've already decided that we're gonna go see ed cooper he uh mm. i didn't even know that uh, he was oh. playing but uh tim said oh where's where's this venue so oh ed cooper yep we're gonna go to that nice gonna go 
catch him. That'll be fantastic. Great gig. It takes a, a Canadian from South Korea to tell you what gigs are going on in your local town, Morris. <laughs> As <laughs> it always the way it is. Yeah. yeah. It should be. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Okay, so uh, selection number four, Bernie. Okay, an album from 2014. Um, I'm sure that you are both familiar with this. I'd be very surprised if you're not. Uh, A band, I guess it's... Well, I don't think it is an offshoot band of uh, Richmond Fontaine. It's just another band that Willie Vlautin put together uh, called The Delines. Yes, indeed. It's Friday night. And I just can't stay at home And I know your ship Starts at midnight So come on Come on as well no date no not not ringing a bell they they came out here a couple of years ago we've got a new alt country one day music festival every october it's been running for i don't know the last two three years called out on the weekend and i think they came to the first edition of that festival and then when i heard that that this new outfit the delines was in existence i went and and bought that album when it came out and yeah absolutely a lovely record lovely record so did you did you get to see them then or unfortunately i did not i i think the uh there was too much going on on the day for me to actually sort of get out to that one day festival oh, well hopefully the delines will make another trip here i know that willie lawton actually has come here as well not just as a musician but he's come here as an author i think he gave a speech a few years ago at a literary festival yeah I, well, it's I, interesting I um you bring that up because it was kind of his writing which led me to the Delines. I've got a couple of uh, Richmond Fontaine LPs. I never kind of followed them religiously. I certainly enjoyed the LPs I've got. But a friend of mine who works in a bookshop was raving about this writer called Willie Vlautin and I thought, the man, that totally rings a bell. And then I put two and two together and realised it was it was the same guy. Mm. And so I've actually read, I think he's written about four novels and I've read three of them and they're outstanding. They're very, very good. And I was doing a little bit of reading up on him and came across this band the, the Delines so I thought I'd give it a punt um, and it's it's a stunning album it's fantastic beautiful isn't um, it? yeah I mean I, I guess it's country rock but probably erring more towards country than rock it's certainly right. of a a kind of more languid kind of pace mm, mm. Um, and I think I was reading an interview with Willie Blouton and he said he really put the band together because he was a fan of this singer called Amy Boone and he really wanted to work with her. So he essentially put the band together and wrote these songs for her to sing. She's got a wonderful voice. It's got, you know, it's got, it's a lived in voice. And I don't mean that as a, uh, you know, an insult. It's, you know, you kind of feel like she's lived what she's singing about. Oh, it's honest. It's an honest voice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And all the songs are, are kind of beautifully written sort of vignettes about this is, seems to be what Willie Vlauten always works about he writes about it's it's about real people and real lives people struggling to make ends meet people having problems with alcohol people coming back from the war and not being able to fit in there's a great great song uh, called I Won't Slip Up where uh, Amy Boone is 
singing and she's kind of asking her you don't know whether it's a boyfriend or a friend you know could you maybe give me a lift downtown I just want to go out I just want to get out tonight I'm kind of fed up with work and the, the boss picks on me and the, the boss makes me the boss counts out the till in front of everybody to make sure I've not taken any money and I, I just want to go downtown and I won't slip up and you're kind of thinking okay she's got a history she's probably got some kind of or she had a drink problem she's got some issues but you know what else has she got she needs to escape somehow and just really simple little tales of real people and the lives they lead beautifully written beautifully sung uh, and beautifully played it's it's a stunning lp it absolutely is. fantastic yeah it is well uh, and really songs like that that sort of you know really show willie lawton's he's, he's basically writing a book there but just delivering it in a yeah. three minute song so absolutely they are yeah it's almost like they're short stories and and what he does really really well as i find is that he doesn't kind of romanticize this stuff even though it's honest and it's coming from the heart he doesn't romanticize it which would i think kind of cheapen it in a little way so yeah just tremendously beautiful songs as i say beautifully played beautifully sung really emotionally affecting tremendous mm. lp really good i'm really thrilled that uh, you discovered that that's uh, that's fantastic yeah i'm just hoping they'll put out uh, i don't think they've put anything else out have they so not that i've seen but uh, i think it maybe that. maybe it's more of a side project so you know, well, I believe hasn't um, he's knocked Richmond Fontaine on the head, hasn't he? I think they're gone now, so maybe he might devote a I bit more time to... I'm uh, not sure about that. I can't remember for certain because I didn't actually go out and get it, but I thought that there was a new album that might have been out in the last year or so. I, there, there was, I, but I, I believe it was their last LP. I think he announced this uh, is the last okay. one. Okay. So. I'm looking at and Spotify, should... and there, there is a new Richmond Fontaine record from 2006. It's called... Six. 16. From, I'm sorry, 16. Uh, you, you can't go back if there's nothing to go back to. Right. So, so that's very pretty floating, yeah. Mm. <laughs> You've not heard uh, Richmond Fontaine then, Eric? No, the I Delines. have not. Oh, wow, I've, okay. I'm looking at the line's Spotify page, and the related artists are Israel Nash, Peter Bruntal, Richmond Fontaine, and the Drive-By Truckers. Mm. So There you go. I think they'd be right yeah. up your alley, uh, Eric. You should definitely I, check I, out the Delines. I uh, added it to my list of things, so... Cool. Good man. So when we do the 2017 show, you never know. It might be in your row. Uh, yeah. yeah. We'll see. Yep. All right. So your fourth choice, Eric. All right. So going from, from maybe the heaviest thing we've talked about to maybe the lightest or most insignificant and definitely one of the most critically, I don't know, I don't want to say panned, but um, let's just say that, that I, I've run across a number of people that aren't a big fan of this band. And this is the Swedish band Ghost and their second EP, Hope Star. I had their first EP and I thought it was okay. This one is just a great sloppy arena rock pop epic kind of blast of energy that, that doesn't overstay its welcome. It's kind of hard rock, but not really. 
it's you know listening to it i you you hear a little bit of like 80s arena rock stuff like journey or any of those bands but but there's just something about them that that and this this ep in particular that, that really just hooked me in i think the big thing is it's short it's five songs they do it's mostly covers echo and the bunny men the arrhythmics so I don't know what else to say other than I find it extremely fun and listenable and you know I drive around the car listening to it and you know I know it's not everybody's thing but if you need something with that kind of uh, big grand 70s 80s epic arena rock feel I I can't think of anything else that, that really is filling that niche for me right now so you say that you know there are the covers you know your Eurythmics yeah. and Echo and the Bunny how close do they keep to the original arrangements or do they play around with it do something I different I don't no, because I don't know the original songs well enough. Okay. I've always thought they were more of a traditional kind of metal band. I'm, I'm kind of surprised mm. you're saying it's a bit more arena rock and almost new wavy in places. I, I thought they were more sort of trad metal than that. You can hear some some kind of heavy sounds in there, but but yeah. overall, I mean, it's not like the it's not like Slayer. It's not like it's not even like Iron Maiden level of of heavy. Uh, sure. And, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of at a loss as to what to say because, like I said, I like it and I enjoy it and I, and I have fun with it. And, you know, their previous EP had a Rocky Erickson cover and an ABBA cover and a Depeche Mode cover. So that's kind of what they're doing with these EPs. And that one's okay. I don't get the backlash towards this band, first of all, because if they're not your thing, they're not your thing. Fine. Now you say this is uh, the second EP. Have they actually put out a few LPs as well? Um, or is it just a piece? I, I have not dug deep enough to find out if there's okay. been things beyond the... Let me take a quick look here. Okay, so apparently they do have a couple of studio albums, and then all I've really heard is these two EPs. I could see how this kind of music would get old if you were listening to an hour of it in some ways. But these EPs just... I know, especially this one, Pope Star. I just, I just enjoy it. Like I said, I've been listening to it in the car, and I find it... I want to say, like, that Jim Steinman kind of big grand kind of feel to it. So it would appeal to John Rostin. Yeah, quite possibly. I'm looking at their Discogs page, and certainly the first, actually all their LPs, the first LP uh, came out on Rise Above Records, who are kind of quite a renowned sort of doom and metal label in the UK. Uh, and then their third LP from a few years ago is out on Spine Farm Records, who I think are maybe a German metal label. Spine Farm, I believe, is out of Finland because I know they put oh, okay. out the Ultra Bimbos records at the end okay. there. Or they, the Ultra Bimbos were on a subsidiary. But yeah, Spine Farm, I believe, is part of the whole Finnish metal rock scene, which is more... Metal and, and rock aren't as separate in, in the Nordic countries sure, as, they, yeah. as yeah. they are in UK and North America. So... Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just I, I, mean, I wonder if perhaps with the the singles and LPs they're kind of playing around a little more, and that's what is causing the backlash because it's pissing off the the true metalheads who like the LPs. It could be know, possibly. And it also but, uh, it also could be that 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 the stuff with them playing around and doing the covers appeals more to me. I mean, I first sure. of all, I didn't recognize any of these as covers. I didn't know any of these songs. So yeah, it's it's a, you know I, I think they're an interesting band. There's a pretty good uh, What's in My Bag Amoeba Records video with oh, yeah. the leader yeah. ghost. Hmm. Good right. stuff. So uh, we're going to go to uh, my number four choice. And I'll do a little bit of a, a bit of an explanation before I sort of get to the actual band. I've been posting in the group just how incredible I believe that the uh, local soul scene is. And it's really been over the last 10 years or so, 10, 15 years. It certainly doesn't hurt that the local bands that... Uh, We've had the presence in the world of the of the Daptone label and 
uh, similar soul movements in other international cities exists. Also, I guess, you know, with local public access stations like PBS and Triple R, they've been huge champions of both old school soul and local musicians for years. Some of the bigger names that have been doing the rounds have been uh, bands like Cooking on Three Burners, which actually I remember they started out, they were more sort of like a Hammond organ jazz trio, sort of more gone into the funk soul realm. Bands like Sasquatch and the Bamboos, uh, featuring terrific singer Kylie Aldist. And she's been making a name for herself in her own right in recent years. So getting to the album I want to talk about, my good buddy Pat Monahan, who you would have heard a couple of months ago on the Triffids episode, I love that album, uh, recommend I listen to uh, the latest album from a local outfit called Deep Street Soul, and their album is called Come Alive. doing a gig here can't remember where uh, when an audience member just happened to be a booker for Glastonbury Festival and it still hasn't made them hometown heroes but it's sort of given them some knowledge or people know them in in the UK and in Europe but uh, unfortunately in their own backyard you know they're not a name like the other uh, bands that I mentioned before Come Alive is a really deep and gritty funk album and just to give you an idea as to uh, the sort of regard that they're held in Wayne Kramer of the MC5 is on the record for saying that their cover version which is not on this album their cover version of Kick Out The Jams is the best cover of the song he's ever heard And when, you, and when you listen to them do it, you think, this so works as a funk song. Why was it never done before? It, it, it just sounds so natural the way they do it. As to the album itself, Deep Suit Soul can really hold their heads high with uh, the Dat Kings or the Budos Band or really anything from the Dat Tone label. They've said that they're influenced a lot by Booker T and the MGs and also by the Meters and certainly uh, their drummer Agostino Solidati is uh, drumming is very much in that very tight groove sort of bass drumming that uh, Ziggy Modaliste of the Meters does. And they have a singer who actually, well, I've read like in the last month that she's just left the band, which is more's the pity. She's going to be a hard member to replace. Her name is Mae Johnston. And we were speaking earlier on, Bernie, about uh, Betty Davis. Mae Johnston yeah. sounds scarily like Betty Davis. She has 
the growls. She has the belter sort of voice. She's really old school punk soul. And yeah, she's uh, the natural heir, I think, to Betty Davis. Just like you know, I think every great soul band is about tightness and groove to get that sound. This is not an album with one song exception of uh, laid back ballads. It's just all solid, gritty funk. The opening track is an instrumental called Out of the Gates. And it's like watching an Olympic runner on steroids. It's fast and tight and super funky. You've got uh, this great rhythm section of Agostina Soledati and uh, a bassist called Warren Hunter. And they just push every tune that they're on while providing that solid bedrock of rhythm for the rest of the band to play on. Of course, they have the horn section, which makes this sound like the best of any Stax recordings of the 60s. But this really does sound like an album of now. I know I've made these old school references and you know it, it could be very easy to say, oh, well, it's just pastiche, but it's not. It has groove and feel. It really does bring back you know, the, the, the name of R&B to what I think it should be. It's just absolutely a solid album. I really, really love it. I think it's a great thing that over the last few years we've had you know, funk and old school R&B make a make a comeback and i just i'm looking forward keenly to see what deep street soul can do and uh, yeah they're another band which i will definitely make a thing to see in 2017 if they have something on sometime soon i know that they've done a couple of festivals of recent but i'm just hoping that they can do something in their own right so um yeah deep street soul come alive is the name of that album i think we've gone through our four albums so we'll go to another break and then i'll come back and read our final bit of uh, mail and we'll go one more time round through our favorite first time lessons of uh, 2016. You'll listen to Love That Album, episode 97. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. But don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. It's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife-husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libsyn.com. It will save your life. Or maybe just help you kill an hour. And we're back. You're listening to episode 97 of Love That Album. Thank you very, very much for listening. Uh, Last show of the year. I won't bother you again until 2017, I promise. On the line, I still have with me Mr. Eric Creanimator and Mr. Bernard Stickwell. And thank you so much, gents, for uh, sharing your thoughts and your first-time favorite listens of the year. Not a problem. And another person who I want to give thanks to for sharing his favorite listens for the year is the final written correspondent. And this is uh, a fellow who's a regular contributor to the uh, Facebook Love That Album page. Always love uh, reading what he has to say. And that's Scott Smart. So uh, thanks, Scott, for writing. He writes, Hi, Morris. Best wishes for the holiday season. Here are my notes regarding my records of the year. Number one, Changes by Charles Bradley. With his illness and the recent passing of Sharon Jones, I listen to this with more feeling each time. Got the bonus disc of instrumentals, which is great. I've listened to a bit of Charles Bradley. Uh, amazing voice i think he was here last year number two the northern soul story volumes one to four the history of northern soul illustrated in eight discs excellent notes 
one I'm not sure if this is one disc or one disco. He's written one disco, but I'm not sure. Uh, one disco per volume and not a bad song among many great songs. I got a really terrific only two CD Northern Soul compilation earlier on this year. I think it was mentioning to you, Bernie, because it was sort of served as a promotional vehicle for the film. Sure, uh, yeah, you did, yes. Yeah, yeah. really definitely want to go watch that film if, uh, if I can. It's a definite uh, see here at some point, I think. I think that would work very well. Terrific, terrific. I, I, I love the music. If the film is half as good as the music, then I'm, it'll be great. Uh, number three, Mind Revolution by Dorsal Fins. I met a barman who was in the band, got to talking how I liked Sasquatch. He mentioned how he was in Sasquatch, and this is his new band. Got the record, Love the Soul via catchy Savage Garden pop stylings and production. Looking forward to the next album. Number four, for the first time on vinyl, Joni Mitchell's Blue. It's Joni Mitchell's Blue, right? So he felt he had nothing more to say there apart from it's Joni Mitchell's Blue. Yep, I think that pretty much sums it up. I'm rather envious that here in 2016, you actually got to hear it for the first time. I'd love to have uh, seen your reaction. Just a you know, wonderful record. Number five, a couple of albums. Oh, three albums here. He puts uh, he, under the classification of unique individuals. Booby Knight, a great funkster from the early 70s. Google him and be amazed. Desmond Decker, the King of Scar album. The title says it all. Yeah, pretty much does. Love Desmond Decker. Madeline Bell, self-titled album from Diva. I think I had this on last year, but it still has me. If you didn't hear me the first time, it is a fave. Number six, uh, here's a couple of hip-hop reissues. First one, Curtis Blow, self-titled. Includes the breaks, a really bad Lover Man ballad, and a really great version of Taking Care of Business. I wonder if he means as in Backman Turner Overdrive. I don't know. The, uh, the second one is uh, Def Jam 25 Recordings. DJ Bring That Back. Tracks separated over four discs, two pre and two post-1996. Tracks include Disturbia, Rihanna, Hustlin' Rick Ross, Jesus Walks by Kanye, Put It On Me by Ja Rule, 911 is a Joke by Public Enemy. I Need Love and Radio LL Cool J and featuring The Rains by Juice Jones and This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan. Number seven, Too Fast for Love, Motley Crue reissue. Now, that's a Ooh. band I never thought I'd be I love that album. <laughs> there you go. Uh, a tremendous sounding vinyl of one of my favorite records ever. Never heard a better sounding reissue. Number eight, ah, now this is something close to my heart. The Atlantic Rhythm and Soul, oh, sorry, the Atlantic Rhythm and Blues box set. Great on CD, brilliant on vinyl. The Atlantic set is a soul collection in a box from the 40s to the 70s, a most enjoyable history lesson. My first purchase from Discogs worth every cent. Back when the albums were originally released, I got volumes five and six, but I know what's on the other releases. And yeah, that is an amazing set. So seven double albums on the record. I think they might have sort of like cut a few songs off to make each one fit on CD. If you want to have like the nuts and bolts of what great, R&B from the Atlantic record label covering its history from the early 40s when uh, Ahmed Herdegun started the label through to the mid-70s, then uh, that really is a great collection to have. Uh, number nine, Bill Withers, Just As I Am on vinyl. Bill Withers' debut, a great record full of great songs. Ten, got the John Williamson four CD box for 20 bucks from JB Hi-Fi yesterday. Great songs. John Williamson is, uh, I guess, a, a local country singer had one song that became very very famous called hey true blue which i gotta confess i can't stand but from people in the know he's a lot more than just that one song so anyway four cd box set for twenty dollars it sounds like good value there scott there are so many more i'm on a motown kick at the moment but am thinking of going a bit metal over christmas 
probably end up drunk listening to old Hank again. All the best for the holiday season to you and yours. As always, thanks for the work you do for the group. Have a great day, Scott. Thanks very much, Scott, for uh, sending us your thoughts. It's I'm really grateful to all three of you guys who uh, sent very detailed emails there on what you listened, what you liked. So those of you listeners out there, hope you're taking notes and hopefully that there's something in what the correspondents have sent in or what any of us have gone and recommended for you to search out in 2017 if you haven't already done so. All right, so our final choices for the show. Bernie, your fifth choice for the program. Okay, uh, the final choice is an LP called Feathers by a band called Dead Meadow. For ages, they've been around since I think the mid '90s, something like that. They tend to get lumped in with that whole kind of stoner rock thing, okay. and I'm not a huge fan of that, to be honest. I find it all a little bit kind of samey and dull. Um, obviously, some bands stand out more than others, but because of that, I never kind of got around to investigating Dead Meadow. But I heard a track from this album on uh, WFMU earlier in the year which is uh, my favourite radio station it's awesome on the strength of that track I thought I would check out the LP because it's not at all what I kind of thought it was going to be it's much more like a if anything a kind of Pink Floydy kind of well it has a real sort of Pink Floydy sort of early 70s Floyd kind of vibe to it mm. it's very very stoned sounding it's the most stone-sounding LP I've heard since, uh, I think, the first Funkadelic LP. Okay. It's got a, a really kind of kind of reverby, sort of a kind of giant sort of production sound to it. It kind of feels like falling into a giant sort of vat of uh, feathers or something whilst you're listening to it. It was strange because it's called Feathers, maybe that's why. But yeah, kind of, it's, it's a, the whole LP is, is kind of a real trip, and I don't mean that in the kind of hippie sense, the, you know, the LSD sense. Well, I don't know, maybe I do. It, it really does feel like a journey, kind of lifts you up and takes you through it. All the songs are very, very kind of mid-paced. There's no sort of real upbeat songs. It's got a real sort of languid kind of uh, just mellow floating feel to it gets a little kind of jammy in places by which I mean jamming not the band the jam obviously but they know how far to take it it doesn't get too noodly or go on too long and when they kind of go for that it, it kind of helps the song as opposed to hinders it if that makes sense sure Again, it's not, I wouldn't say it's sloppily played, but it's it's kind of loose. Don't say sloppy like it's a bad word, though, Bernie. Cause... No, no, it's not. It's I, I, I love sloppy records, to be honest with you. So that's that's definitely a good thing. And the vocalist, uh, he's got a really great, kind of quite high-pitched voice, which, again, for kind of something described as stone or rock, you expect something a bit more kind of traditional rock-sounding or a bit more kind of grunty, you know. But he's got this really kind of nice, pure, kind of higher-register voice, which just kind of, you know guides you through the uh, through the songs so a, a really great kind of headphone album 
very so, late at night. So would you sort of say that this fits maybe in part of the neo-psychedelic movement? You know? Yeah, it, it certainly feels more like that than it does a kind of stoner rock kind of vibe. I think maybe they were a little ahead of their time doing this stuff in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Hmm. Maybe just got lumped in with stoner rock because that was the easiest kind of description. But it's, it's definitely more psychedelic rock than uh, than stoner rock. When's this album come out? 2005, this one came out, sorry. Okay. I was saying, the thing about stoner rock is, is like metal, it's not monolithic. It's an offshoot of metal in some ways, but it's also an offshoot of post-punk and, you know, the drone of the Velvet Underground is definitely in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the psychedelic of blue cheer is definitely part of the mix. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. And, and, and like any other genre, it has that range too. Yeah. I think with, with Stoner Rot in particular, maybe I've just been unlucky, but there seems to be certainly the stuff I've listened to. There's quite a lot of generic sounding bands. So I'm sure there's good stuff there, but I, I don't mm-hmm. think I ever really came across anyone that was good enough to make me sort of dig deeper, you know? So, but it's, you know, horses for courses, isn't it? We all kind of like different yeah. things. But yeah, this is a great sort of, uh, as I say, very stoned sounding, really great headphone LP, kind of nice trippy Floydy sounding stuff really good Feathers by Dead Meadow so looking at the the listing for this album on Spotify they have a song called Such Hawks Such Hounds which is the name go Go on you can say it no you say it (laughs) alright Golden Age music documentary there is a stoner rock documentary that that's the title of and they're in that and that's where I I know them from right okay yeah yeah I I find that even even if you're not a fan of certain genres of music that watching documentaries about them can be interesting for instance absolutely Absolutely. My sister and I recently watched the four episodes of Hip Hop Evolution, which is something I have no interest in musically that's on Netflix here in the States, and it's fascinating. Is that directed you know? by Sam Dunn? No, I, I think it's a – it might be actually. It, it's just – it popped up on Netflix. It's four four hour-long episodes that – talk a lot about New York City and hip-hop and disco moving to what we know as hip-hop. And then the last episode deals a lot with the West Coast. But, it, it, I mean, if you're if you're a music fan and you're interested in the evolution of music, it's definitely worth a watch, even if you're not into that style of music. As you know, I'm not a metal fan, well, at least not mm-hmm. beyond you know the early days of it anyway. But I was completely riveted by uh, metal evolution. We got the... Okay, uh, yeah. Of, of that and Sam Dunn is really engaging and asks all the right questions and and really kudos to him because he did an episode about hair metal which at the beginning of the episode he says this is not a style of metal I have any love for but mm-hmm. it's if I'm documenting the history of metal this has to be included and even by the yeah. end he said look it's still not a style of music I care for but I have a greater respect than when I started at the practitioner's and I just, I was riveted by the whole show. So, um, Hip Hop Evolution is showing up here on local Netflix. I'll definitely be watching mm-hmm. it. And, and the, uh, this, the back to the Dead Meadow, Such Hawks, Such Hounds is actually on YouTube in full if anybody would like to check that out. Oh, so. I'm aware of it, but I've never actually seen it. So uh, yeah. I'll check that out in that case. Fantastic. All right, Eric, your final selection. Okay. Well, this should come to no surprise to anybody that's been following me on Facebook for the, uh, the this year and listening to me talk about music this is an outlaw country album that charted on the dance and electronic albums charts <laughs> and this is the Kuntosh for Giorgio by Shooter Jennings people <laughs> 
I strive to build virtual worlds that are more than mere high-quality simulation. I try to draw the player into a meaningful journey of personal So Shooter Jennings, the son of outlaw legend Waylon Jennings, back in 2014, he announced he was doing two quasi-tribute albums, one to George Jones, which wound up being an EP, and then one to Giorgio Moroder, the Italian disco composer, producer, early electronic uh, music innovator. And Outlaw Country and Italian disco are not two sounds that anyone would think go together. (laughs) But Jennings, in my opinion, has, has done something kind of amazing by mixing what's the strengths of, of the two genres and pulling the right elements from them together. So a, a good a good chunk of these songs are actually covers of things that were that were written or produced by uh, Marauder, including the last track, which has Marilyn Manson doing the vocals on Cat People. And this album came out in March, so it, it kind of resonated even a little bit more with you know the fact that David Bowie had just passed when this came out. Yep. It's not a cover that goes way off course from the original in any way, shape, or form, but but just reminds you how great that song could be when you know in the right hands. So additionally, there's a cover of the Never Ending Story uh, theme with uh, Brandy Carlile on vocals and a song called "Born to Die" featuring Steve Young. Now I, I believe you guys did uh, was it Heartworn Highway? Yeah, as a yeah, we did, see here yeah. episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you guys remember Steve Young from that? Yeah, was vaguely I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got a that... few LPs of his actually. I think. Okay, so, so he yeah. also passed this year, and he provided the oh, vocals for the track "Born to Die" in this. Huh. And yeah, it's just it's it's a great album. I, I really really enjoy this. It's one of the weirdest albums I think I own. And, and I think it just it just mixed everything in the right way. I'm not shocked that it charted on the Dance and Electronic Albums chart because there's a track or two on here that you could totally hear being played in a dance club or at a rave, which is completely not my scene. At the same time, you get the, you know, the, the country vibe, the outlaw country vibe. There's a song on here called I'm Left, You're Right, She's Gone, which I believe uh, was a Marauder song that he might have done with Willie Nelson back in, in the 80s. Well, but that's go. such... If, if, yeah, uh, if George Amarota can work with Willie Nelson, then why can't Shooter Jennings do a tribute to George Amarota? Exactly. So, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a number of great songs on this album. There's actually some really great videos that Cat People had a great video that was done in that, like, 16-bit 90s video game kind of palette of animation. I don't know. I don't know what to say. It, it, it's, it's my favorite album of the year, hands down. It has been the whole year. Wow. Uh, I've heard a lot of other good stuff, but I, I just I keep coming back to this one. Uh, so I was working in a warehouse for uh, leading up to, to Christmas here, doing the, the holiday seasonal work because this company they do uh, they sell a lot of food and they have kind of a national following. So Christmas is for their mail order business is what carries them through the rest of the year. Sure. And we were doing ten hour days for like twenty days. I mean that's what they they told us to be ready for that. The first couple of weeks we were doing like six or seven hour days, but they had music playing the whole time. And uh, I got to program about two hours of music one day, and I got to request a song one day, or a couple of songs. And one of the ones I did request was the song Love Kills off of this album. And it was a mix of stuff, Christmas stuff, gangster rap, electronica, you know, classic rock. One day when it was all like 
Motown, soul, and R&B. But I was talking to a guy in the in the break room one day, and he was telling me that uh, we were talking about music because he's a musician. And I mentioned this album, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I, I heard that on the you know on the loudspeaker." And I, I hear the song come on, and he said, "I had to shazam it to see what it was." It turns out that his last name is also Jennings, and he comes from the area that Waylon Jennings was from. And it was just kind of neat because he was like, "Yeah, that was a great song. I hadn't heard that before," and he was shocked that this was you know a Shooter Jennings song. And when I was telling him about the album. So I think it has an appeal beyond the people that are Shooter fans or that are Giorgio fans. You know, there's probably something on there for just about everybody. So Kudos to him for doing something so brave. I mean, maybe he doesn't consider it brave, but considering how you know many artists are probably thinking, well, I need to do something that's going to yeah. find an audience, and he's thinking, I'm doing something for me, and hopefully people will dig it. So, Well, Shooter's an interesting guy. I think he's got his own label going, and he does what he wants, and if he wants to do a country record, he does a country record. Yeah. If he wants to do a rock record, he does a rock record. You know, but, but that's the whole outlaw country mentality, right? That was what his father pioneered with, we're going to record the songs I'm going to pick with the band that I tour with, you know, and Willie Nelson with the, here's the redheaded stranger. It's just me and a guitar. We're not doing anything else. Hmm. I mean, that's the mentality. So cool. So my final selection, and I'd actually had another album lined up, ran out my five, but Max said to me something, Oh, have you thought of, Oh no, I hadn't. So this is uh, as much Max's suggestion as it is mine. So we were talking before about the soul funk revival that's been you know, quite heavy. And it also seems that we've got uh, over, I don't know what period of time, I haven't been paying as much attention, but there's been big neo-psychedelic movement. So this album is probably the most well-known out of uh, my selections. It's album number eight for King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard called Nonagon Infinity. <laughs> This year was, I'm amazed, was the first time I'd actually got to see them live. Max and I went out on a Sunday night, on a school night. I didn't come on till 11 o'clock, but it was pissing rain. It was completely the other side of town. But, you know, once you're in there, you completely forgot. The rest of the world just sort of disappeared. They had so much energy. This album is considerably different from the other two that I have. I mean, they have about eight albums. I only have uh, two previous ones, one called Float Along and Fill Your Lungs and another one called Oddments. I believe the one that came just before this, uh, I, I don't remember the name, was an all-acoustic affair, so I want to see what that one's like. But this one is just a full-on rock record. I should mention that if you have a look at the photos of the band on the inner CD booklet, they are dressed up and face-painted in a way that makes me think that I wish they'd been the band on the back of one of the trucks in Mad Max Fury Road. They just have that <laughs> apocalyptic look. It's fantastic. The songs on the album itself have a relentless energy that just really seems to embody the spirit of that film. It's got nine songs. 
they all flow into one another. It's really, apart from uh, a couple of tunes, one called Mr. Beat and another one called Road Train, it's actually even hard to tell that there are nine songs. It sounds like a one forty-minute tune, and but it, it's called Nonagon Infinity Nonagon because nine sides. It's nine songs, and most famously, all the articles written about it, the end of the last song is exactly where the the beginning of the first song starts so if you could program this up to go into a, a continuous loop basically the album would never end it'd be just sort of continuous and once again all these songs it's different enough to you know not get bored with it but they do flow together very well very similar feel yeah it, the, the album borders on something like a, a punk metal crossover yet the production still gives something to me of a garage feel the lead singer and i'm guessing the songwriter uh, he's uh, one of the guitarists uh, Stu mckenzie just looks manic in a live context and he looks like he's just having the most wonderful time and i think at one point he pulled out a flute which he doesn't do on this album but he just sort of didn't believe that this guy who's banging his head back and forth and playing his wild style of guitar will all of a sudden go all ian anderson on you but yeah it's a really tight and energetic fun party record uh there's this motif that runs through quite a few of the songs of a, uh, you know, like a, the guitar thing is doing an ambulance type of motif. One thing that I really, really love, I get to see all too rarely, is a band with two drummers in it. And uh, especially in a band that plays this tight and this fast, uh, it, it was no small level of achievement that they managed to pull this off so well. Just such a great album. And just looking ahead, they've already released the first single off their next album. The new single's called Rattlesnake. The next album coming out is called Flying Microtonal Banana. And that's going to be all the more interesting because they're playing with microtonal guitars. That requires no small level of skill. I'm really looking forward to that. And it'll be interesting to see if they can keep up the quality because according to, uh, I think, I'm not sure it's their, their webpage or their Facebook page, but I read that they have five albums scheduled to be released in 2017. So, uh, yeah, I, I heard that as well, yes, yeah. I'm, yeah, look, I've, I've only heard three albums so far, but really this one is one of my favourite albums of uh, the year. So if you haven't gotten into them yet, uh, check out uh, Nonagon Infinity by King Gizzard. And the Lizard Wizard, an amazing album, and if they uh, play in your neck of the woods, make it a thing to go see them. The other band that's, I guess, in in the psychedelic vein that you know, we've all been hearing about and really love over the last few years, at least I know I do, is, is Tame Impala out of mm-hmm. Perth. Their last album sort of went in a different direction, and full kudos to them for doing that. Because, I mean, as, as wonderful as those first two albums were, I, I'm really always in admiration when a musician thinks, well, you know me for this, I want to do something different. And it's, I think it's called Currents, was their third album. So uh, at first I sort of, oh, it's a little bit electronic. It looks a bit, but, well, let's see what they do. And just in the end, it was just a really classy set of songs. I love what they did. So I'm looking forward to see what they do. Hopefully they'll release an album in 2017 as well. But we, it seems like we can't get enough of King Giz and the Lizard Wizard in 2017. So um, kudos to them. Looking forward to what they do next year. All right, those are our five selections each. Gentlemen, do you have any other albums that you want to make quick mention of that just didn't quite make the five albums that you went into detail about? I was actually just going to say that I did mention a bunch of the other also-rans on my compilation edition this month. So if people would like to uh, check that out, you can find it in the feed. Additionally, I have kept a uh, Spotify playlist, which is public, 
that of all the albums from 2016 that I have listened to, so if anybody's interested in that, you can either hit me up on the Facebook page or you can just search for me on Spotify. So go ahead, Bernie, take it away. Okay, I've got a few other uh, also-rans. There's a couple which actually came out this year. First of all, new LP by the Dead Sea called Trouble. Dead Sea, always a treat when there's a new LP released. It's amazing to think that three people who quite publicly profess that they can't play their instruments um, (laughs) have made a kind of 35, 40-year career out of making this kind of anti-rock, I suppose you could call it. But yeah, the the new LP, Trouble, is a double LP five tracks over four sides and it's as kind of confrontational as as they always are it's fantastic very good band called e this is a really difficult band to google or find any info about (laughs) they're called e the album is called e and it just came out about a month ago i believe uh thrill jockey records put this one out the band features singer guitarist uh talia zedek used to be in a band called Live Skull, a sort of New York post-punk sort of hardcore band in the 80s. She was then in a band called Come in the early 90s. A great LP called 11.11 back in about 92, 93, I think. Sort of blues, rocky version of grunge, perhaps. I don't know, maybe that's a little broad. But this new band she has, E, also features a guy who used to play drums for a band called Karate, who were a kind of, I suppose, post-rock emo ish type band from the late 90s and that's kind of the sound that E go for it's definitely got that kind of early to mid 90s math rocky kind of noise which I was a huge fan of at the time so it's really uh, nice to hear people from that period who kind of weren't particularly well known for playing that kind of thing then putting together an album now which just you know kind of wipes the floor with a lot of that stuff so if you like kind of tricky time signatures and weird angular guitar lines and so on totally recommend that e by e a few other quick ones here hedvig molestad trio and he came across them this year a three-piece i think they're swedish led by a guitarist called hedvig molestad um who uh, she's a stunning guitar player they play it's kind of like they're a, they're basically a rock trio but they treat rock in a kind of free jazz way so it's very noodly but not in a kind of, you know, sort of show-offy, wanky, masturbatory kind of sense. Hey, don't knock masturbation. It's sex with someone I love. It's all kind of in service of uh, where they're trying to get to. But yet, guitar, bass player and uh, drummer, really shit-hot musicians, basically. And as I say, they're, they're kind of a rock trio. They've definitely got a kind of metal-y feel to them as well, but really, really great. An album called Black Stabat Matter, or Black Stabat Mater, I'm not sure. But that's really worth checking out. Awesome LP. Mm -hmm. Uh, And an older one, a little bit more uh, diverse for me, I guess. Uh, An LP by a fellow called James Carr from 1967 called You Got My Mind Messed Up. Don't know if you fellows know this. But, uh, I just, I've, I've got an anthology of James Carr. Yeah, great. Okay. Yep, yep. Yeah, just a really great Southern Soul kind of LP. He was the guy uh, who did um, Dark End of the Street. That's right, which is actually on this oh, LP. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. So yeah, really tremendous voice, really great sort of, uh, sort of gospel-y, southern soul-y kind of voice. Great arrangements. I like soul, but I'm not hugely knowledgeable about it. It's one of those areas which I've only just started investigating over the last sort of five, six years. Mm. And it's, you know, there's a lot of it out there. So to come across an LP, which really kind of kicks you on your ass like this one did for me. Nice. Yeah, it's a good one. Cool. So yeah, that would do it, I think. All right. All right. So I'm just going to list 
five. I mean, I, I had a huge list, but I narrowed my nearly. It's it's not actually really a nearly list. It's sort of like an alternative because I found I had so many Australian albums on my list. I just decided deliberately to keep it local. But uh, so all these ones that I'm not going to be talking about at length, my non-Australian albums uh, that I heard for the first time this year. So the first one I want to mention, and this is a big shout out to our good Canadian brethren over at uh, Feed My Ears, Nathan and John, particularly to Nathan because uh, he recommended that I give this one a listen. The band is the lowest of the low, and who I believe were really, really huge in their day. And I think everyone has a copy of their album with the wonderful title, Shakespeare My Butt. Uh, and uh, their main songwriter is a guy called Ron Hawkins, their lead singer. Now, I knew of Ron Hawkins because he had gone and toured with Mick Thomas of uh, Weddings, Parties, Anything, and the Weddows actually covered one of his songs called Rosie and Grey, which uh, appears on this album, Shakespeare, My Butt. Absolutely wonderful. There's a reissue that I got. Uh, the, the whole album is, is quite a lengthy one. Uh, if you like that sort of Weddows, country, rock, folksy sort of boisterous singing in the pub type style then uh, lowest of the low definitely for you this reissue has the cd restored to uh, full glory and has a dvd which i haven't actually watched yet uh, presumably of interviews of uh, of the band post the release of the album so i've got to make that a thing to watch now that i'm on having a short break that album came out originally in 1991 another album that was a big favorite of mine for this year was uh, something of a super group uh, nico case uh, Katie Lang and Laura Veers, they had a self-titled album, and I haven't really read up much about how they came together, but I imagine it was you know, some mutual respect, and someone recommended, hey, you ought to work with the other one, I really don't know, but they've put together absolutely a classy album. At my first thought, you know, first listen was, oh, it sounds more like a Nico Case album with uh, the other two just sort of providing backup, but really nothing could be further from the truth, they all put their own individual stamps on it and yes there are nico case sounding songs but then there are also songs that really sound very katie lang stylistically i I confess i've not heard much laura veers so i don't know how much of her own stamp is placed on it but i'm supposing that it is they all wrote songs and they all sang harmonies on each other's songs and they each take turns to do leads really 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 wonderful album uh check that out if you haven't already done so another guy he put out an album his debut album a few years ago maybe about two three years ago which was one of my favorite albums of that year i'm talking about michael kuanuka he was originally born in uganda i believe but emigrated to england very very young and his album of a few years ago called Home Again, which Tim had recommended to me, was a mixture. I mean, it was all his songwriting, but stylistically, it sounded like he was declaring his love of late 60s Van Morrison and Pet Sounds Era Beach Boys and a range of other things, just these really gorgeous songs with beautiful arrangements and cool instrumentation. And he's put out a, a new album this year called Love and Hate, that sounds more like he's been watching some early 70s black exploitation films. Not really over the top, a, a lot more laid back, but certainly that sounds like the influence. So very different from the previous one, but he's got a fantastic voice and he's definitely a talent to be watching out for. He's coming to play here in uh, April of 2016. I've already, oh, 2017, excuse me. And I've already secured my ticket to see him here at the Corner Hotel. Immensely looking forward to that. Fella Kuti, who'd have thought it'd take me this long to be uh, getting into him, but I finally did. I've, I've been listening to a few things of Afrobeat, and I, I think partly in a way, it's not that it's Afrobeat, but I, I think, Bernie, our discussion about Sun Ra 
probably pointed me sure. towards uh, listening to Fella Cootie. So um, I tracked down a okay. copy of uh, Expensive Shit, and that's just fantastic. Uh, so the story goes that some Nigerian police planted a joint on him as an excuse to arrest him. He ate the joint. They waited for him to poo, but I, I think he found some... Uh, feces from another member of uh, of his band <laughs> Ga- they took that instead and they said well we have to let you go damn it yeah there you go but yeah a great afrobeat album and i certainly want to search out more of his stuff and more afrobeat material just um, really wonderful stuff I-, I dug that album and the album that was the big discovery for me and if i'm going to be truthful is my favorite discovery of the year the album came out in 2015 and this artist, he actually toured here in March, but I didn't discover him until later, damn it. I'm talking about Kasami Washington and his three CD album. Uh, I'm not sure how many records it encompasses, maybe three records as well. Uh, it's called The Epic. Truth in advertising, you could not hope for, for greater than that. Uh, there is certainly an influence of Sun Ra and Duke Ellington, and I'd also thrown some Max Roach maybe even with some of the, the wordless vocals that you get on this, a little bit of Vince Guaraldi in style. But uh, he has a band that is really, really huge. And I imagine that if you were to see him play with his full band, it, it'd just be one of uh, life's great experiences if you're a jazz fan. And I, I would even recommend that if you're not like a, a diehard jazz fanatic, but you, you like enough to want to investigate it, I'd certainly say this is an album that you should check out. I know that uh, Rodrigo is a big fan. I think a, you know, a few other people in the group have uh, declared their love for this record. And there's like 10 or 11 minute epic tracks on this, which uh, it, it never loses my interest. There's you know the compositional part of jazz, but with enough improvising to keep it uh, interesting in that level. And I'm just regretting that I didn't know about him a year in advance. So I would have uh, seen him play here in Melbourne. I believe he even played in a pub. And I, this is concert hall. I can't imagine how he ended up playing in a pub. But what the hell? I'm going to be in uh, Montreal at the Jazz Festival in 2017. Very excited for that uh, for that trip. And fingers crossed that uh, that he's invited to play there. And if not, but he's a young guy. I'm sure we'll be. Uh, seeing a lot more of them over the next few years. So um, Kasami Washington, the epic, my favorite first time listen of uh, 2016. Absolutely love it. So I think that takes us to the end of the program. Wow. That's the end of it. 2016. We'll have a lot more good stuff, hopefully, for you in 2017. A lot more albums to talk about. And I know that uh, I'll be having you two. Well, certainly, Eric, you know, get on with it. You have a job to do anyway. Uh, with this show. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, my, you're my employee. No, no, really. Really, this is – I've declared this many times. I'm so grateful that you came on board for the last three years. You've been doing – You've, you've yeah. been doing wow. the, the compilation edition for three years. I remember because when we started the See Here podcast, and I thought one episode of Love That Album a month is not really enough, but I couldn't afford to devote more time to it. So that's when you jumped on board. So you've been doing this for three years as well as even longer, your 10-minute segments on the uh, regular show. So I can't thank you enough for having been well, part of this. And uh, You're very welcome. And uh, Bernie, um, I think it's been a long while since we had you on, on this program. I mean, I'm grateful that we speak every month on See Here, but it's been a long time since we, we were going to do it. We were going to cover what was then the latest Bill Fay album, I think, at some stage. We never got around to it. Uh, we did that one, didn't we? Did we no, cover we, the latest? No, we did. No, no. No, we, the we did the one before. Previous one. Said, yeah, yeah. Well, we we're going to either do yeah. that or, or the new Mark. I think Mark Eitzel's got something new that's just come out. He's so. got a new LP coming out, I think, February. Okay. An advance word on it is very good, apparently. So. Ooh. 
we might yeah, have maybe, maybe we could reconvene for that one, Morris. I, I, I well, you know where I am. You know I, where I am. Just give me a shout. You know. In, indeed, <laughs> you're, you're in the bath. So uh, I am in the bath. <laughs> very yes. good. Very good. I just uh, want to say uh, thanks, Morris, as well for uh, inviting me on this show for uh, this occasion. I'm, I'm uh, so so excited that you know the two of you came on. Here. It's great. We will reconvene sometime soon no doubt uh, well certainly for uh, C here in 2017 and our um, first movie just to give a plug for our other program because hell I can do it why the fuck not uh, so our first film for 2017 is going to be American Pop and I've already reached out to Dr. Zom to see if uh, he'll be part of that oh. so I've just I'm just going to give him a date and see whether he'll be part of that because oh, okay. he was a fellow who recommended that film to me in the first place so um, he's already said I need to I can't guarantee anything because of time uh, we've just got to work out the times, but might be able to do that. So I'd, I'd really love his perspective because I know he was a man who a few years ago recommended I watch that film in the first place. So there's that. And okay, so I should probably just briefly mention what we have for first episode of Love It Up for 2017. We're going to do another mystery box episode. I like doing these mystery box things because I get to talk about several albums in short form. And so my guest will be Will Smith, one half, or should I say really one third? of the uh, Journal's Guide to Midnight Cinema team because really I think uh, Todd is almost now a permanent member I think of of the program so we'll say one third and uh, we'll be doing a soul mystery box so he's basically going to recommend three albums for me to listen to I'm going to recommend three albums for him to listen to and we'll each sort of talk for a few minutes about each one of these albums, what I thought of my albums and what he thought of them and vice versa. It's been too long since we've had Will on the program and he's definitely a big, big fan of soul music. So I thought, right, well, here, here's a, an opportunity for you to talk about some music rather than film. And uh, he's been very keen to do that. So, uh, yep, January 2017, Will Smith. And if uh, the name doesn't mean anything to you, then you should go out and search out The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. It is uh, a podcast that all three of us absolutely adore and have been big fans of mm -hmm. for years. So um, check that out. But uh, anyway, he'll be joining me next month. So uh, if you want to join the Facebook group, just go to uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album. And feel free to over there your favourite albums of the year. I said previously, send me an email if uh, you wanted to so we could keep it as a surprise. But now that the show's been and done, uh, please feel free to put some of your favourite albums of uh, the year on the Facebook group. We'd love to hear from you. And I think that pretty much covers it. So, uh, gentlemen, once again, have a safe New Year's Eve. I will get this album... Oh, I'll get this album. I will get this program out <laughs> before the New Year. Alrighty. Just have a, have a safe one. Party on when, party on go. But... Um, <laughs> Hopefully you all have a good one and enjoy yourself. So um, we'll speak further in 2017. So um, all the best. Thanks, gents. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 